Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I think you just need to understand that you're inherently worthy just because you're here. We tend to look for reasons why we're worthy of something. Well, oh, it's because I lost 10 pounds or because I worked out all week or it's because I did this or I live here or I'm wearing this. No, it doesn't matter. You're just worthy because you're worthy. You have to remind yourself of that every single day. And I also think setting boundaries is a great way to build that confidence, right? With whatever it is you're doing, whether it's asking for a certain amount of money for like a job that you're going to do or a package that you're going to price something at or meeting someone and dating them. When you set a boundary and you stand up for yourself and you vocalize who you are and what you want, that is like the quickest way to feel confident. It might feel scary and you might feel like you're going to lose something, but having the willingness to walk away from something, that's how you build that confidence. That's how you work that muscle of that self-worth, being like, I'm good with or without this, with or without this client, this man, this apartment, this opportunity, like I'm good. And I know I'm going to be good. I can always come back to myself. But say it, speak it, and the more you do it, the easier it becomes. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business. So you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazón. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. 
Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list, and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. I literally cannot believe that I have this next guest on the show because she is the woman who has introduced me to the world of personal development via podcasting. We have the one and only Kara Allwell on the show, creator of Style Your Mind, the podcast, and The Champagne Diet, and an incredible movement to empower women to just be their most badass selves. So Kara, thank you so much for being here. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Absolutely. So you are an OG in this space, both as a podcaster, as a coach, and I just want to dive into all of that and more with you, but I'd love for you to introduce yourself to the audience and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah. So I am first and foremost a writer. That's always how I like to identify myself. I started with a blog 15 years ago, a little blog called The Champagne Diet while I was working in digital advertising. It was at MTV at the time. It was in my 20s. And I was just kind of living this life that didn't really feel true to me, didn't really feel authentic to me. I wasn't being creative. I wasn't doing all the things that I wanted to do with my life. And the blog for me just became an outlet, an opportunity for me to express myself, to be creative, to write. And then from the blog, I started connecting with women. I would tell my stories. I talked a lot about relationships. I was kind of in like that quarter life crisis, if you will. And I was sharing things and women were reaching out to me. This is back in the day. There wasn't even Instagram. So I always like to paint a picture with Twitter and my personal Facebook page. It was such <laughs> a baby brand that I didn't even know was a brand. And these women were reaching out to me and they're like, you know, I loved your story. Like, I love the fact that you're so vulnerable. And do you have some advice? I'm going through this situation. Can you help me? So I started to think to myself, how can I turn this into something bigger? Could I make this a job somehow? And at the time, blogs really weren't being monetized. So I had this idea to become a life coach. And I had never had a coach before. I had never experienced life coaching. I just knew I didn't want to go to school to become a psychologist. I had dropped out of college to work. So I was like, I'll just become a life coach. And I researched the industry. I started educating myself. I took courses. I became certified. And then that turned into the podcast. And then nine books later, here we are today. So really, I just kind of got started in wanting to share my stories and my world with other women to basically help people feel less alone and let them know they weren't the only ones going through what they were going through. We always kind of show up for other people by showing up for ourselves, I find as coaches, right? So it's you go on this journey that's transformational. You realize you've learned so much. You start to share that. And then people are like, I'm going through that too, or something similar. And that's where this whole thing happens, where folks start asking to work with you when you didn't even necessarily plan this to be your career, right? Yeah. And I tell all of my clients and all my readers and the women that I work with, when you're speaking to your audience, you're speaking to a past version of yourself. 
And I think that's the number one way to stay aligned and true to who you are and what your message is and what you are here to do and teach and coach on. You're speaking to a past version of you. I think we forget that sometimes. Absolutely. Okay. So I want to dive more into your career before all of this happened, right? Because anybody externally looking from the outside would be like, she had an incredible career in the music industry, working for MTV, hashtag goals. Why would that not be the thing that would fulfill you? So what were some of the thoughts that were going through your head during the time where you're just like, this is not where I'm meant to be? Well, it did fulfill me at first. So I first set out to be a music journalist. That was always my dream. So I wanted to write for the music industry, and I did. I started a little fanzine, if anyone knows what that is, out of my bedroom in the 90s with one of my best friends, and we would go to concerts and review them. I started interning for record labels. I wound up getting hired by J Records, which was the label that Clive Davis started when he first discovered Alicia Keys. And I was an intern there. And I actually dropped out of school to go and work there full time. And I was a receptionist by day. And by night, I would go back and work in Clive's office, second in command to his first executive assistant. I got promoted really quickly. I became his second executive assistant. I worked in that back office for a long time. I worked supporting the A&R team. And I loved what I was doing, but I was moving further and further away from what I really wanted to do, which was writing. So I wound up getting laid off from that position, and there was a big merger that was going on, and then I moved to MTV, and again, I wanted to write. And the goal of taking the job at MTV was to be a journalist, but I wound up getting into advertising. They call it the golden handcuffs. It paid really, really well. And here I was, I guess I was 26 or 27 years old, making $75,000 a year in a new industry that was exploding. I was good at it. And everyone in my life was like, stay there. You have a good deal. Don't move over to MTV News. And It's so funny because this goes to show you what like an insane work ethic I have. And I am proud of this, but it's also really crazy when I think about it. I pitched MTV News and I was like, I want to write for you guys. I'm working upstairs. I'm in the advertising department, but I want to write for you guys. And the editor was like, I'd love you to, but we can't pay you for two roles in the company. So you would have to essentially just do it for free. I was like, okay. So I would wake up at five o'clock in the morning. I would write these articles for MTV News and then I would go to my real job So I was living this double life, but it was really cool in retrospect because I got to go to the VMAs. I was front row at the VMAs and I got to write about it. So I had this experience, but the positions there paid $30,000 a year. So I would have had to take an insane pay cut. So I felt like I loved it and I loved being in that business, but I was going down a road because I thought I should, not the road I really wanted to be on. So I think that has now inspired everything that I do in my life and everything that I teach my clients to do. Just because someone's telling you to do something because it's the quote right thing, you need to follow your gut. So I probably would have stayed in the music industry. Obviously, that wasn't the right path for me. I do believe I'm on the right path now and I know I'm meant to do this, but it was a lesson for me in learning how to follow my heart. Yeah. And I think that's a real struggle that a lot of folks can identify with when they're faced with this crossroads, right? Where you are discovering something you're passionate about on the side and then you have this career What do you think was the thing that allowed you to make that transition, right? Because it's scary as hell to just, I'm going to walk away from the golden handcuffs and let's see what happens. It was really scary. I will say this. I did build up my side hustle, if you will. So I was coaching, blogging, writing for six out of the eight years that I was at MTV. So a good portion of that time I was building something and I knew I could make enough money to survive. And I got myself to a point where I was bringing a consistent income on the side. And I knew that if I just walked away from my full-time job, I'd open up a lot more energy and time for myself to make that transition. So it was a little bit of that. It was a little bit of just faith in myself and trusting that I could really make it happen. And just, I remember that year, my mom was at a job for 30 years. She worked for the city. 
She was an accountant, a city union job, and she did well for herself, but it wasn't her passion. And I remember going to her retirement party and watching everybody line up, say goodbye to her and wish her well and wish her the best. And there was like a line of people and every person that came to her was like, oh my God, I'm so jealous, Deb. I've got three years left. I've got 10 years left. I've got six months left. And it felt like I was looking at a jail. And I felt like I was watching people that were doing a sentence, not living a life. And it was that July she wound up retiring. And then that September, I put in my notice at MTV. It was a wake-up call of just, wow, I'm not going to replicate what I just witnessed. Major wake-up call. And my mom supports me in everything I do. And she's my best friend, but she was so scared. She was like Mm. terrified of the move I was making. But I was like, listen, I just need your support. And I'm going to do it regardless. So you can either support me or you can be scared but I need you to support me. And I had support. She was definitely terrified. She gave me the whole talk about how I should turn off my cable because I wouldn't be able to pay my bills and how I'd have to not get manicures anymore. That was her fear talking. And I think a lot of our parents, especially our generation, they come from that mentality. Like you get a good job, you get a 401k, you get health insurance and you never leave. Don't take it for granted. Be grateful for what you have. And I think we can be grateful for what we have, but we can still want more. And that is what I had to tell myself. I was like, you've got a great deal. Sure, you've come this far, but you have more to offer this world. So you've got to take that chance on yourself. Yeah. So now the work that you do is obviously to empower women to reject the status quo, make decisions that are aligned with who they want to be versus who society thinks they should be. And I'm curious what that journey has been like for you as you've gone along in this now 10 plus year journey as an entrepreneur and as a life coach, because what I find fascinating about you is that you haven't allowed yourself to be boxed in. You've had so many different versions of you that you share with us. I remember when you were doing your luxury resale of Chanel and Gucci stuff. I'm like, this is so cool. She just doesn't give a shit. She just does (laughs) what feels good. And I'm like, we need more people who do this. So talk me through what that evolution has been like for you. Yeah. I mean, I think when you do things that don't feel good for a while, you just get sick of that and you have to change. I knew that I felt boxed in for so long. When I step into this new world for myself, this personal brand that I'm creating, which again, at the time I didn't even know it was a personal brand, I'm just going to do what I want and I'm going to trust myself because I knew one thing. I knew when I trusted myself and I gave myself permission to do the things I wanted to do, I never failed. Because to me, failure is just giving up and failure is doing something you don't want to do and being unhappy. Success to me is not just the money that I bring in. Success to me is how happy I feel every day and how much I can trust myself. And that goes for work, that goes for relationships, that goes for everything, your lifestyle. So I've always just given myself permission and not everything hits. I was really going hard on like the wellness stuff and I was posting my workouts all the time. And I had people be like, I had to drop off. I couldn't stand it, couldn't handle it. It made me feel bad about myself or I didn't want to see somebody working out because I couldn't work out, whatever. That's okay. And they come back to me. It's kind of so funny because I've had girls who have followed me for the whole time, 15 years, and they're like, yeah, I come in and out. Sometimes I love this topic, this season of your work. Sometimes I don't. And I'm okay with that. I'm not here to please everybody and make everyone happy. I'm here to be authentic to myself. And if the right people will be magnetized towards that and the people that don't feel attracted to it for whatever reason, that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of getting out of your own head, right? And what I find a lot of folks end up doing on social media is very performative. They forget how to embrace their own inner voice and they just start looking for that validation. How do you stay out of that potential rabbit hole? Oh, I just stay off social media as much as I can unless I'm posting. (laughs) 
unless I'm posting and communicating with my audience, I really don't scroll. I mute or unfollow everyone in my industry. I really can't look around at other people. And that's really hard because sometimes you do have to stay abreast of what's going on. You want to know what's happening in your market, in your industry. But I'm very careful not to look around too much because that can just suck the life out of you. And you can start to think, oh my gosh, this is what everyone's responding to. What if I'm doing isn't resonating with people anymore, but it doesn't matter. Coming back to being your own barometer for success, like, am I happy every day? Am I doing what I love to do? And I think looking around and comparison is truly the number one thing that will just take you off your game. Absolutely. Okay. So from the outside looking in, it can look like you've had this incredible career, these incredible successes, just been exponential growth. Has there been any dark times? Has there been any times where you're just like, why the fuck am I doing this? Let me just go get a regular job because this is ghetto. (laughs) Yeah. There actually has been a lot of those times. One in particular was I wrote a book called Girl Code in 2015. And I had self-published a couple of books up to that point because I couldn't get a book deal. And I wrote that book and that book just exploded. And I sold 100,000 copies of that book independently in like a year. And then Penguin Random House found me. They acquired the rights to that book. They published it. And now I think it's in like nine or 10 languages. It's all around the world. I did another book with them, like She Owns the Place. And I remember that whole experience of selling my book and having this traditional book deal. And for anyone that doesn't know anything about the publishing industry, when you sell a deal to a publisher, when you agree to do a book with them and you sign a contract, you're looking at at least 18 months until your book is actually on the shelves. So I felt like I had given up, quote, given up girl code, which was number one, a huge moneymaker for me. I mean, that book was bringing in $20,000 a month just in passive income. All of a sudden I sold that deal and that was gone. And I felt like it was in someone else's hands and I had given the rights away to somebody else and that was freaking me out. And then I sold this new book. And by the time that I put out like She Owns the Place, I was exhausted. I was depressed. I was over it because I kind of work quickly. And like when I move through a book, I'm through a book and then I'm on to the next thing. I love change. Anyone that knows human design, I'm a manifesting generator. Like I love new projects. So here I was in this very slow industry with people that really didn't understand me and didn't really see my vision or get my vision. And they were kind of doing things in a very cookie cutter way. I didn't experience the care and the attention and frankly, the success that I thought I would get from working with the publisher. And I was very depressed. And I felt, what if Girl Code was this one-hit wonder? And what if nothing else was going to matter? And what if no one cared? And like She Owns the Place did well, but it didn't do as well as Girl Code did. So I was faced with this moment where I was like, oh my God, maybe I'm just a fluke. Maybe that was just dumb luck. And maybe I hit something and I'm never going to hit it again. And I was very depressed and I gained 20 pounds and I was miserable. And then, fuck it. I'm not going to worry about my books anymore. I'm not going to think of what the next big idea is. I'm just going to do something else. And I started my podcast. And that proved to me that success is not just a one-time thing because my podcast blew up. Six years later, the podcast has over 10 million downloads featured on Oprah's website. It's been featured in Forbes. And I think the takeaway from that story is you can't try to replicate the same thing over and over again. I wasn't going to do another girl code. I was going to do something different, but I had to trust myself. Again, I had to go back to square one what's going to make me happy. And what made me happy was being able to get on a mic and talk to people and do something different and do something unique to me. And I think unique to the world because six years ago, no one really had podcasts. They existed, but now everybody has a podcast because they think they should. Again, going back to like, oh, this is going to be big. I'm going to be performative. I'm going to do this for someone else. So that was a big moment for me where I just truly did feel like the biggest failure in the world. And I had to really work through that. 
What made you sell the rights to Girl Code? Did you feel like you needed that validation from a traditional publishing company? I felt like it was still a dream that I hadn't fully explored. It was always in the back of my mind. I wanted a book deal from the time I was a little girl. I had a whole vision in my mind. I watched Sex in the City in my teens and my 20s. And I remember the episode where Carrie has her big book launch party. And I still had that dream. And I felt like if I didn't take it, I would not know what was on the other side of that door. So I took it. And of course, it's super flattering when a major publisher is coming to you. They're the same publisher, the same imprint. It's Portfolio Books that did Girl Boss the same imprint that did all of Seth Godin's books. It was a huge honor to be aligned with those authors. And I don't regret it because now I do know what's behind that door. And listen, the book deal did great for me. I mean, I did get the book out there. It's in almost 10 languages, I think, or nine. I did a couple of those foreign rights deals on my own, but they definitely helped me in some ways. So I'm grateful and I don't have any regrets. But yeah, it was just one of those things where I just kind of had to see for myself. Yeah, you live and you learn, right? And the most important part is now you can get to share those lessons and hopefully save some other folks from making a decision that's not necessarily aligned with what they want to do just by sharing your story. Now, one of the things that you've been really open about, which I love, is relationships and entrepreneurship. The things that happen when you're a successful woman out here killing it, for professionally, everything's fucking great, but when it comes to relationships, it's a shit show. <laughs> that's a perfect word. Right? I can absolutely relate. I know so many women in my circle navigating the same thing where it's just, why are we getting all of the professional things perfect, but the relationships are shit? And first, let me ask you, where does your interest in this topic come from? It's so funny because I swore up and down, and I'm sure there are interviews or podcasts of me saying this, I will never write about love. <laughs> I will never talk about love. I will never, because I felt like I was the hugest failure at it. And I still do, if I'm being honest. I don't think I have it all figured out. I've learned a lot. I've got a lot of wisdom. But I mean, my love life is cringeworthy. Like when I think about what the fuck has gone on and still goes on, I'm like, wow, Kara, this is not your strong suit. And that's okay <laughs> because I think a lot of people can relate. So I think for me, when I started to want to talk about it is when I got divorced. I was with my ex for 11 years. We were married for 10. Lived together with him for 10 years. So I had this relationship and I will never say a bad thing about my ex-husband. He's an amazing guy. We are best friends to this day. We talk all the time. We're really close. But we were not meant to be married anymore. I don't know if we were ever really meant to be married. We joke around. We're like, what the fuck were we doing? We got married after like a year. We were college kids just getting drunk and hanging out and partying. Let's get married. It's so funny because neither one of us really even wanted to be married. But we were just really in love and we did it. And again, neither of us have any regrets. But we didn't know the first thing about being married. We didn't even know who we were, let alone who we were as a couple. So in 2020, before COVID hit, my timing is always impeccable, I asked my husband for a divorce on New Year's Day. Oh. Yeah. And I knew that I was turning 40 that year. And I knew that I couldn't go on in what was really just a friendship at that point. We were like roommates. So I sat him down and I told him, and now he tells me it was really hard for him to hear that, but I kind of thought he was on the same page. I mean, I think we were both deep down, but I was the one that had the balls to do it. So get out of that relationship. COVID hits. I turned 40 in quarantine. It was just a wild time. And then I started dating. And for the past three years, I've been dating as this woman in her early 40s who's newly divorced. And I remember when I would first put myself back out there, oh, this is going to be easy because I never had trouble. Like I always had a boyfriend, always a long-term thing, a husband literally met my husband on a dating website. He was a second date that I went on and we got married a year later. So I thought I was an expert. Well, I don't know if it's me <laughs> or I don't know if it's the world, 
But wow, it's not easy and it's hard. And dating has been probably the biggest lesson in personal development that I've ever had. And I'm just learning so much about myself and I'm seeing like who I am and what my triggers are and my traumas and all the past shit that comes up. And I think I've been able to find the humor in it. And for me, that's the biggest thing. It's just being honest and being vulnerable and being willing to share the low points and the crazy things. And as I started to slowly let those stories out, my audience was responding to it like crazy. They were like, oh my God, my DMs would blow up. I would do these Q&As on my story. Anytime I talk about it on a podcast, women are just so grateful. They're like, thank you for saying something and for being so honest. I feel the same way. I don't know why I'm still answering his text or I don't know why I'm still going out with this guy or why I'm entertaining these things, but I'm doing it. And I think like there's just power in storytelling. And no offense to anyone out there that's a love coach or anything. I really don't believe anyone is qualified to give advice in love because I think it is the one thing that we still have not figured out. There is no blueprint. There is no roadmap. There is no one size fits all. And it really depends on the person and the circumstance. So my angle with it is really just sharing and it's storytelling. And it's taking me back to my roots of the blog, which was all storytelling. And I find that that's the way that I can inspire people and make them laugh and make them see the lessons I'm learning because I am learning things. I might not be applying those things that I'm learning all the time, <laughs> but I'm learning. So no, that's real. <laughs> yeah, it's real. And I don't know. I find it just to be something I can't shut up about. And I think that, again, that's my truth. I mean, I feel like life is a muse, right? So why wouldn't you use the inspiration of what you're actually going through to be a vehicle for change and for just sharing knowledge? I've been sharing about my divorce and the things that I've learned. So many women have come to me asking me about postnuptial agreements because me talking about the fact that I had one is the first time that so many people are thinking about this. And now they're going back home and having conversations and making decisions, hopefully, that will protect their wealth and stuff. And so there's just so much power in showing up and telling your story. And I don't think enough people realize that. Exactly. I got a big response when I shared that I did get divorced and that there was no drama around my divorce. Nobody cheated. He wasn't beating me up. Like Again, on paper, it was my job. It looked really good. And no one could really get it. They're like, well, he's such a good guy. And he is. And he's a very good looking guy. And he's successful. And he's good to me. But I wasn't fulfilled. And I had to share that with people. And when I shared that with women, they're like, thank you for talking about this because I'm in the exact same situation. I want more. I've had women come back to me and say, you know what? Your story inspired me. I got separated or I moved out or I left this relationship because by you saying that it's okay to follow your heart, even if no one else understands it, that gave me permission to do the same. Yeah. Okay. So why do you think that so many successful single women are having issues finding a partner who can match their energy? Is it us? Is it them? Is it just this toxic world of fucking swiping right? What's going on? Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Okay, I think it's a lot of things. I read a book called The Love Gap by Jenny Birch, and it was a really eye-opening book because it has a lot of research in it. And she interviews men, mostly men, but also women, 
in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, but mostly 30s, early 40s around this very topic because she couldn't understand why men, when they were interviewed, wanted this total package woman. In theory, they want the total package. They want the woman who's attractive, who's financially independent, who's ambitious, who's driven. But when they actually have a chance to be with her, go on a date with her, be in a relationship with her, they freeze. And they back off. They sabotage. They don't want it. They find themselves not attracted anymore. This whole entire book is trying to understand why. And there are a couple of things that she says that I think are interesting. And I want to caveat this with saying this doesn't apply to every man. This is just the general, the majority of the men she spoke to. And there were thousands of men that she spoke to in the book. Men and women in our generation, right, and I'm talking like 30s and 40s, I'm doing an experiment with myself. I actually lowered the age on my hinge to 28. And let me tell you, these younger men are going to be 43. They love it. They fucking love it. Okay. (laughs) They worship you. Like if you're like a powerful bitch, they're like, oh my God, that's so hot. Tell me more. And I'm like, wow, this is so interesting. I absolutely concur on that. That's getting a chapter in the new book for sure. But anyway, <laughs> the guys that were around, even a little bit older, right? Because I've been dating men anywhere in their late 30s to early 40s into their 50s. And the way that men in that generation, those generations were raised, was very much rooted in how can you grow up to be a provider? What are you offering the world, especially your woman, right? Men are raised to be good at everything. We use words with little boys like beat that team. You get this award. You get a trophy for things. And women, we were raised to be very emotional and to build relationships and to focus on partnerships and love and friendship and all these things. So we were raised very differently. And I think what's happening with men in our generation is that they're not really understanding where they fit because all of a sudden we got so far ahead in terms of our career and our success that now we don't really need them. We don't need to get married. A lot of us are choosing not to have children. So they're trying to understand where they fit in. They're like, okay, well, if I can't make more money than her and provide a home, if I'm not going to be a father to her children or a husband to her, what does she need me for? And I think what we can do as women, and I'm trying to do this, is really just reiterate to men, what I need from you is emotional support. What I need from you is friendship, partnership. Great sex doesn't hurt. (laughs) I mean, like, I don't need your money. You know, I don't need your kid. I don't need your home. I don't need you to build me a house. Like, I'm good, but I still want you. I don't need you, but I want you. And I think that is really what's going on right now with us. So it's just been really interesting to observe and also to see how men respond. Like, I've been on dates with men, and all of a sudden, when they ask me what I do and I start sharing it, it's like I can feel the energy shift. It's like instant. I've had conversations on dating apps and everything's great and it's like flirty and fun. And then again, I start to share what I'm doing and it's like I've been unmatched on the spot, which is so wild to me. I'm like, wow, okay. Or they ghost, they kind of drift off. So it's fascinating. Does it make you rethink your approach sometimes of maybe using an alter ego or not telling them what you do? Because I have used an alias because I don't want to be fucking Googled. Okay. Well, it's so interesting you say this. Do you remember the sex in the city where Miranda goes on a speed dating Yes, experience? <laughs> and she's telling them all she's an attorney and they literally get up and leave. And then she's like, oh shit, they're intimidated. So then she pretends she's a flight attendant <laughs> and she starts getting all of these men who are like obsessed with her. So I did an experiment like that briefly where I kind of dumbed myself down just to see what would happen. And I didn't say what I did. And I was very fluffy in my profile. And I just kind of had like a few pictures that were cute or whatever. And my messages were flooded. I had so many matches. It was insane. Then like a few weeks later, I switched it over. And one of the things that I did now, which is interesting, because I'm noticing there's like a lot of guys on these apps that just want to like hook up, right? A lot of them think it's like a prostitution app or something. 
I had a guy cancel a date because I wouldn't go to his house. Okay. He literally messaged me. He's like, um, so we'll come back to my house for drinks. And I was like, no, <laughs> I haven't even met you yet. And he canceled the date two hours later. Oh my God. So now what I'm doing on there is I've actually changed it where one of the prompts is the best way to ask me out is to ask me out with intention and plan a real date. I'm noticing now the response that I'm getting to that, all these guys are like, I would be honored to take you out on a date. Where would you like to go? Would you like to have dinner with me? It's changing from let's go get drinks to let's go have dinner. So I do think that we can take the softer approach, not share at all, but at the same time, it's going to come out at some point, right? Who you are is going to come out at some point. So I would rather know if you're scared of me, just let me know now. Just go, keep it moving. I can't fake it for very long. You're going to know. (laughs) So yeah. I mean, what happened with your story? Like, have you... So I definitely have found that younger guys are where it's at. I feel like men over 40 are so fucking jaded because they're typically divorced or like a dad and have like a toxic relationship with baby mom or whatever. And they're so fucking cynical that it's almost like they're less emotionally mature. And I think they also are of a generation where the patriarchy was still very much a thing. They are very much looking for the traditional housewife. And it's just not a vibe. (laughs) Totally. It's the cynical thing is so true. There's like a darker, heavier Mm -hmm. energy around them. I don't know if it's because, you know, maybe that generation of men were not encouraged to go to therapy and work through their shit. I've dated guys who are complete fucking train wrecks. I feel like I'm their life coach all of a sudden. (laughs) Like, dude, I didn't sign up for a project. I'm here to support you and whatever, but I cannot keep you going and breathe life into you. That's your job. So yeah, for sure. The younger guys are like way happier and more chill. Yeah, for sure. Y'all, it's a vibe. And I actually did an Instagram poll in my feed a couple months ago. And I mean, the hundreds of women were just like, yes, I found my soulmate. He's like seven years younger. He's five years younger. Check out younger men. These older men are just fucking damaged beyond repair. (laughs) Five is not bad. I mean, I've been talking to like guys who are like 10 years younger, which is fine. Yeah. The biggest difference for me has been nine years. And AJ, nothing but a number because honestly, there's people who are way more emotionally mature than their age would suggest. And I think you just have to kind of give everybody a chance without kind of putting a blanket expectation over them. Okay. So I want to talk about love and money. Do you think it's actually possible for a couple to have a healthy relationship when the man makes, let's say, significantly less than the woman? Let's say like five times less. That's a tough question because I have mixed feelings on it. I think my first reaction is it shouldn't be an issue unless you both let it be an issue. But then the practical side of me says, I have a certain lifestyle that I like to live. There are certain things for me that are non-negotiable. When I travel, I'm flying first class. It just is what it is. And if someone's making five times less than me, that's not an option for them. Where do we go from there? Do I pay for their travel? Does that make them feel some kind of way? There are practical lifestyle things that I think can be really tricky. So to your point about emotional maturity, I think it would take a partner who feels totally confident in himself and isn't going to be thrown off by that and intimidated by it. And that's not so easy to find, right? So I think it has to be something that you both feel okay with. I mean, I have a girlfriend who is a multimillionaire and her guy's not. And I think he does well for himself, but he compensates in other ways. Like he is really good with the kids and he's a really good emotional support system for her and they have a fantastic relationship. But they have certain things that they allow each other to do. She lets him pay for dinners or when they go out. And obviously her lifestyle is different. So she's paying for their home or she's putting more money into their home. I think it's such a personal thing, but I think a significant amount of money, that can be rough. 
I think that's real, right? And like you said, it's going to depend on both people. And I think there's no such thing as too much communication about expectations Mm -hmm. up front. I'm curious for successful women who find themselves in this cycle of just toxic behavior when it comes to relationships, what do you think are some of the root causes? Do you think it's what society is projecting on us as how we should show up as women? Do you think they're just narratives that we're falling victim to? What do you think? I think a lot of it has to do with the way that we're raised and the relationship that we had with our parents and what we saw as children. So I did a lot of inner child healing and therapy for the first half of last year, actually. And I learned a lot. And I mean, I knew there were certain things. Like, for example, my dad left, totally abandoned my family when I was eight. I grew up as a child with a father that acted like she didn't exist. So it was natural that the relationships I would gravitate towards were with men who acted like I didn't exist, or I had to strive for their attention and love, and I had to work harder for it. And if I just loved him enough, he would text me back or make a plan with me or prioritize me in some way. So a lot of that healing and work I did around that helped so much because it allowed me to see my patterns. So I encourage anyone who's noticing patterns with themselves to really just kind of do some of that work. And we don't have to live in the past. And I don't believe in blaming anyone for our past. I do think we have to be responsible. But understanding where it comes from so that you can break the cycle. And learning how to reparent yourself is a big step in that. Learning how to tell yourself, okay, forgive my parents for not being what I needed them to be because nobody's parents were going to be completely what they needed them to be. They're human beings. And taking that responsibility of saying, well, what do I need today? How can I make myself feel loved and secure? And how can I make sure that I'm not going to abandon myself just because someone else abandoned me? And that has been major. And I really think that is the cause of a lot of the reason why we show up the way we do. I had a therapist one time tell me that when you meet a man, it's really your inner child meeting his inner child. And that gives me chills to say out loud because I'm thinking of my past relationships and I'm like, wow, you know, no wonder why that was so disruptive. And I also recommend everyone to read the book Attached. Have you read it? Oh my God, my sister just told me about it and she's like, dude, this shit's going to blow your mind. It will blow your mind. Attachment style is a really big thing. It's a theory on the way, again, that we grew up, we're raised. And it's not just when you're a child, but it's your experiences that shape you. And I know the type of attachment style I have and I can immediately now pinpoint it in a man. And I think it's also kind of freeing because it helps you stop internalizing someone's behavior so much. I was dating a guy and it was like every time we'd get close, he would back off. And the cycle would just keep repeating. He'd back off a little bit. He'd come back. We'd get really close. Same thing. And I was like, he's avoiding attachment. Like it's so obvious. Then I got to know him and his story and he shared a lot of vulnerable shit with me. And I was like, wow, you're a complete avoidant. And now I know how to deal with that type of person. If I choose to, you don't have to. But I think knowing your attachment style and being able to identify it in other people just kind of takes a lot of the obsessive rumination that we tend to do about why someone is behaving in a certain way. It sort of takes that out of our head. Yeah. That's been really helpful for me to understand my attachment style too, because I think, especially after being in such a long-term relationship, I was married for nine years. We were together for 16. You forget what it's like to meet a new person and to build a new relationship. And it's like, holy shit. When I met you, I was 20. Now I'm 37. Totally fucking different person. 
really literally getting to know myself again as an adult. And it's just, I definitely wasn't ready for all the feels that would come up when I started dating. Oh my God, same. I was like, wow. I was like, why am I acting like such a psychopath right now? Right? Like, why am I panicking? Like, I'm such a confident woman. Like, I've been here. Like, I've done this before. Like, now if someone takes a day to text me back, I am going through every scenario in my head. Not now, but I mean, when I had started dating again, it really brings up a lot of shit. Absolutely. It's definitely a catalyst for personal development for sure. (laughs) So I want to pivot a little bit here because one of the things that you do as a coach is that you help women basically identify what their gifts are so that they can go out there and serve the world. And so I'd love to kind of pick your brain a little bit onto what are some of your best tips for identifying what your purpose is? Because me as a business coach too, people are always just like, well, I'm not good at anything. I don't know how to fucking do anything. And I'm just like, what? How do you get past that thought? I think a lot of people do that and think that way about themselves because they're comparing themselves to people who are 10 chapters ahead in their business and in their life. But we all have a gift. We all have unique gifts, many gifts. I think the first thing I would tell someone to do is really think about the things that keep you up at night, the things you obsess over, the positive things, right, that you obsess over. What do you really love to do? What lights you up, makes you excited? What's fun? Because if your business is not fun, what's the point? Especially if you're starting your own business, you're going to be an entrepreneur, you're going to be working around the clock. So rather than thinking about like what is going to make me money, think about what would be the most fun to do. And then I guarantee in this day and age, you're going to find a way to monetize it because you can literally monetize anything with all the technology we have at our fingertips, which we didn't have 10 or 20 years ago, right? So another question I guess to ask yourself too would be like, what would I do if I didn't need to be paid for it? If I was independently wealthy, if you had a trust fund depositing money in your bank account every month or every week, never had to make a dollar, what would you do? Because again, going back to the feeling of like, oh, this is what success looks like on the outside, we can get really off track. I even know myself, I definitely leave money on the table in my business and I'm okay with that because I don't want to do the things that I know could make me a fortune because you don't they don't want to scale fun. to nine figures. <laughs> no, it sounds exhausting. Exactly. <laughs> I don't want a fucking team. I don't want a staff. I don't want those things. So identify your values. That's another big thing to think about in your business. My core value is freedom. I want to be able to get on a plane tonight if I fucking feel like it and not have to tell a whole staff of people or not have to pay a whole payroll, not have to tell a boyfriend. My core values spill into my personal life as well. So what's important to you? How do you want to live every day? What do you want to do when you wake up? Do you want to do the same thing every single day? Do you want to be working from home? Do you want to travel? Do you want to work from an office? Start to ask yourself those questions and that will lead you closer and closer to that thing. Yeah. I love that advice. Okay. So one thing that I've noticed that happens repeatedly with new entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs is they find that brilliant idea and then they're a deer in headlights because they start getting freaked the fuck out about actually showing up and putting themselves out there and building that personal brand and doing Instagram lives and putting shit on social media and starting the podcast, right? So where do we get the confidence to actually show up despite the fear? How do we do that? I think you just have to realize everybody starts somewhere. And the women that you see out there in the books and on the stages and on the podcasts and all the Forbes articles and magazines, they are just like you. They just got started before you and they stuck with it. So until you start, you're always going to be at square one. So you just have to put yourself out there. You can't be afraid to make mistakes. The beauty of being a beginner is that no one gives a shit. No one's watching you. You don't have any followers. You might have 100 followers. Who fucking cares? Like, wait till you have 100,000. Then you're really going to be nervous because you've got more eyes on you. So take advantage of the fact that 
you are a beginner and no one really cares. We make such a big deal of everything in our heads. Like even with dating, right? I think that to myself all the time, send the fucking text. Who cares? Are you going to remember in 10 years if you said that thing or sent that picture or did that thing? No. So put yourself out there and just get started. I think the longer that you wait, the longer you're just going to stay in this place of misery and feeling like you're never going to make it happen. If I look back at my first book, I cringe sometimes when I read it. I'm like, oh my God, my writing was childish sounding and my writing's better now. And I know my writing is going to be even better in 10 years. Right now I'm writing a book of essays, humorous essays, memoir style. Never done it before. I hired a mentor. Again, go find someone to help you. Get a coach, get a mentor. I didn't want to just take a stab at this on my own. I hired her. When I sent her my first essay, I was cringing. And I'm a 42-year-old woman who's published nine books. I was cringing and I'm like, oh my God, she's going to think I suck. What if this is terrible? But how else am I going to know if I don't let her critique me and give me feedback? So be open to failing, be open to looking stupid. Because if you never look stupid, you're never going to be successful. That's just the bottom line. Mm, That's a gem right there. Okay. One thing that we talk about on the show a lot is knowing your worth, whether that is financially going out there into the world and making sure that you're attracting abundance versus living in scarcity. And I know you talk about this a lot. So what are your best tips for us to channel abundance, whether that is beautiful relationships, amazing friendships, amazing clients, a lot of money, that career that is your dream, what should we be doing? I think you just need to understand that you're inherently worthy just because you're here. We tend to look for reasons why we're worthy of something. Well, oh, it's because I lost 10 pounds or because I worked out all week or it's because I did this or I live here or I'm wearing this. No, it doesn't matter. You're just worthy because you're worthy. You have to remind yourself of that every single day. And I also think setting boundaries is a great way to build that confidence right? With whatever it is you're doing, whether it's asking for a certain amount of money for like a job that you're going to do or a package that you're going to price something at or meeting someone and dating them. When you set a boundary and you stand up for yourself and you vocalize who you are and what you want, that is like the quickest way to feel confident. It might feel scary and you might feel like you're going to lose something, but having the willingness to walk away from something that's how you build that confidence. That's how you work that muscle of that self-worth, being like, I'm good with or without this, with or without this client, this man, this apartment, this opportunity, like I'm good. And I know I'm going to be good. I can always come back to myself, but say it, speak it. And the more you do it, the easier it becomes. I love the story that you've been sharing about you upgrading your life as far as where you live and how many lessons you've learned in that journey of just manifesting that next version of your life. So I'd love for you to share the best lesson that you've learned along this process. Oh, that's a good one. The best lesson I've learned is that you have to trust yourself. I feel like I keep saying the same thing, but I recently moved apartments and I grew up in Brooklyn. So I grew up in like a really humble neighborhood in Brooklyn. I had a cute apartment, married, had that apartment. Then I moved to Manhattan Again, cute apartment, but not really where I wanted to be. I always knew I wanted to live in like a luxury building and have all these things. And the first time that I tried to move into a luxury building, I signed a lease and everything. The apartment wasn't fully built yet. I signed this lease, put down all this money, more money than I had ever put down on an apartment in my life. And you know what it's like in New York City, like to rent something, you might as well be buying it. They literally look through your bank statements. It's wild. Credit, everything. And I got approved. I signed the lease and I did all these things. And then I got a call that the apartment wasn't going to be ready in time. It was delayed almost a full year. So I had to walk away from that situation and come back to square one. And I was back in my little apartment and newly divorced. This was literally like just a year ago, basically. And there is an apartment that I had known about this building and it's incredible. And it's a new building that went up and it's very high profile. It's like a lot of celebrities are in here, basketball players, the whole thing. And I knew someone that lived in this building, but I never really saw myself there. That would be like a pipe dream one day. 
And I used to go on the website and look at all the availabilities, look at the pictures and stalk the Instagram and then click off, go back, click off. And one day, not that long ago, last December, I guess it was, I'd gone through a string of really fucked up relationships and I was in a really low point. My business was great as always, knock on wood. Everything was going well. I was making money, but I just looked around at my life and I was like, I'm still in this apartment. The energy in here feels heavy. I'm not living the life I really know I could be living. I know I could afford that building. I looked at all my tax returns the past couple of years. I was like, I could do this. And I set up a meeting and I came and I saw this apartment that I'm sitting in right now. And I went home and I didn't tell a soul and I put in the application. Didn't tell my mom, didn't tell anybody. And two days later, I got the approval and I signed the lease and I moved and my whole fucking life has changed since I moved into the space a little over a month ago. My whole fucking life. I feel different, number one. Little things. I sleep the whole night. I used to never sleep in my last apartment. It was loud. I was right on the street. There were sirens all the time. It was crazy. There was a weird, like I said, a heavy energy in there. I sleep through the night. I feel rested. I feel amazing relationships, all of a sudden I'm able to say what I want, set clear boundaries. Not that this is a point of bragging or success, but literally like my men are like beating down my door, like past things that didn't work. All of a sudden those guys are showing up in a different way. I was joking around. I had like this like situation chip or whatever going on last year. And he was in and out and really flaky and the hookup situation. And he randomly messaged me last week and asked to take me out to dinner. Dinner. Yeah. <laughs> We don't do that. I said this to my best friend the other day. I'm not accepting any dates unless it's a dinner date. Like again, like I told you earlier, I'm not going for drinks. When you start treating yourself better, I guess what I'm trying to say in a nutshell is when you treat yourself better, the people around you treat you better. They feel a different vibe coming off of you. They feel a different energy. And it's happening in everything. It's happening in my business. Like I had a massive month last month in January, the biggest month I've had in a long time. And it's not a coincidence that my lifestyle upgrade has reflected that. Even the way that I'm treating the apartment, I never used to decorate my bed. My whole apartment always looks beautiful, but the bedroom was a shit show, which is so ironic because that's like the room of love, right? Like, oh, it was a disaster. Clothes all over the floor. And from like a feng shui perspective, I was failing miserably. One of my best friends is a huge decorator and feng shui expert. She's like, Kara, you have a suitcase in your love corner. (laughs) That's horrible for feng shui, you know? And it's like a pile of clothes. I was like blocking love and all these things. And now my bedroom is stunning. It feels like a cloud. I bought a new bed. I bought all new bedding. I have a jewelry box now. My jewelry's not all over the place. Necklaces aren't tangled. Like little things like that. I'm just treating myself better. The food in my refrigerator, I'm cooking every single day. If you can't obviously move into a brand new luxury building tomorrow, what are some ways you can make those changes? I would ask everybody who's listening right now, what is one thing you can do? Can you hire a cleaning person to come in and do like a deep clean of your apartment? I'm a big believer in clean and organized. Can you edit your closet? get rid of all the clothes that no longer serve you. That was another thing that I did. I was like, I'm only buying quality. I am not buying just shit because I don't feel good anymore and I don't feel good in my body. So I'm just going to keep buying more and more junk to fill a void. I'm going to wait. I'm working out more. Can you go to the gym? Like, How are you treating yourself? Because that really does send a powerful message to the universe. Yeah. It's really about making that energetic shift in all the ways. People feel it. They definitely feel it. That's so inspiring. And I know folks are going to want to find out so much more about what you have in store because I know you're on version 27 of who you are (laughs) as an entrepreneur, always evolving and I'm here for it. So what do we have to look forward to next from you? 
Okay, so I am working on a book. Like I said, it's a dating memoir, if you will, dating essays. That's going to be coming out this summer. So definitely stay tuned. I'm launching a brand new podcast. If anyone wants to listen, oh my God, I haven't announced this yet. I haven't even posted this on Instagram yet. So you're getting the exclusive. Oprah exclusive. (laughs) Oprah exclusive. It's a podcast called Kara Loves Love. And it is all about dating, sex, confidence, divorce, relationships, all the things. So stay tuned for that. I'll post everything on Insta. And then I have my personal branding course called Iconic is opening for enrollment very soon. So if you're listening to this before April 7th is our first call. So I can give you all the links for all that stuff if you want to share. And this can be Absolutely. On yeah. We'll make sure to add all of those resources in the episode show notes. And I'd love for you to also tell us where we can find you on social media. Yeah. So I am at the champagne diet on social media. Perfect. Oh my gosh, Kara, you are just so damn inspiring. Know that just by showing up and being your authentic self, you're doing incredible work. You're inviting us to question the things that we've been told about who we need to be, how we need to show up. Just know that you have a forever fan on this side of the mic. So thanks for what you do. You are so sweet. Thank you so much. This was amazing. I feel like I could talk to you all day. Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you for being here. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina, the ultimate blueprint for becoming poderosa with your dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start. That's YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated contents constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.